0: you're listening to just one of the guys where i really need a vacation after coming back from my vacation And welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Eagle, and it's my job, as always on this podcast, to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date November nine. It's been so long since I've done this. November nineteen ninety, and ending in June two thousand four. I think you mean November nineteen ninety until June two thousand and four. Man, are you unprofessional? putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Yeah, it's been about a couple of weeks since I've done this podcast, and I've completely forgotten everything about it. Fortunately, I haven't forgotten about the comics I'm going to be covering today. Actually, the single comic I'm going to be covering today, because I just came back from vacation, and boy are my wings tired. That doesn't make any sense at all. But I'm going to be covering a great comic, uh, Green Lantern number 123, which is a follow-up to what was going on in the past couple of issues of Green Lantern. Kyle is all crazed about having married Jenny and restarted the new core, and he kind of feels that this really isn't what's supposed to be going on. In this episode, he has essentially a breakdown, as many things are going wrong with him. Is it all just a fantasy in his mind? Is it mind-controlled by certain aliens? Is it mind-controlled by certain aliens who might be related to the Guardians of the Universe? Yeah, Guardians of the Universe, not Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't wait to see that. Anyhow, we've got Green Lantern number 123 to cover and nothing else this time. So, this should be a short episode, which should make some of you happy. Hopefully, what will make you happy as well is I'll be reading some of you guys' email as well. But I'll be getting to that as well as other things. I don't know what they will be right now because I haven't plotted any of this out because I'm still recovering from vacation. But I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy this comic. I hope you enjoy these emails coming up which we'll be getting to right after I finish playing these podcast promos. Take a listen, won't you? And thank you.
1: Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait, be right back. I need my Avengers Omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? Well, Bill looks
0: for that. Let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner...
2: Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah! Sorry, sorry. I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there.
1: Ow! Ow, oh, who put Cap's shield there?
0: <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey,
1: Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's, it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it?
0: Uh, over there somewhere. No!
2: Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Oh! Ah! tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die. They just get reassembled and sent to another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover and who might stop by. So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvax Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree-Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ... Who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready?
1: (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. This is the Book of the Vishanti.
2: Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked.
0: Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win
2: any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this U- of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators Before their fall from grace This is the era where Miller Is at the height of his creative And artistic powers And the ability of strong writing To encapsulate and transcend its time Flash of Two Earths By Gardner Fox This is an imaginary podcast Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase Is part of the relatively Geeky family of podcasts Check us out on the web at Relatively Geeky or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Short Box Showcase. And remember, we're not experts, we're just family.
0: Uh, what's that stand for? Robin.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? Uh, I'm right in the middle of uh, recording an ad for my my podcast. I'll I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time. Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3. And hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because... Everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake.
2: I love the Drake. How
1: could you not
0: like the Drake? Who's the Drake?
1: Who's the Drake? The Drake
0: is good. And I am back. It's weird to say that after a couple of weeks. Again, yeah, you won't notice any interruption in the production of this podcast, but yeah, I've been off for a week, so I'm just trying to get back into doing this. Anyhow, I need to get back into doing this, which I already said. So let's go ahead and start with the thing that I do at this time in the show. Read your wonderful, wonderful email. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. (laughs) And starting out, we've got a little email from uh, my good listener to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. And Scott Davis writes in with the title, Question. He says, on episode 116, did you suggest that you would be a host on Green Lantern's Light if you came back with the group? If so, that would be awesome. Well, I might have slipped up with that. I constantly slip up saying things on the show, so I could have said that, yeah, if Green Lantern's Light comes back, I would be willing to be a host. But right now, that show is kind of in limbo. I know Michael would like to do more shows, but just finding time to get with Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weeder and get all their schedules synced up and actually do the shows has just been problematic for them. But You know, it's one of those things that was kind of sad that the show pod faded, but they had some really good episodes, and they're going on to do other stuff. And if you'd actually like to hear more of Michael Bradley, uh, he's doing a show called uh, Superman and Batman. Plus, he's doing a little show with a certain other podcaster called uh, Parallel Lines, the Tangent Universe podcast. You can go check those out over at GreatKrypton.com. J. David Weeder is still doing Dave's Daredevil podcast, which is an amazing show. He's covering all things Daredevil, and right now he's working his way through the Frank Miller run on Daredevil. That's good stuff. And Jeffrey Taylor is still doing uh, From Crisis to Crisis with Michael Bailey. So those are all excellent podcasters, all excellent shows, and you should check them out, regardless of the fact that they're not talking about Green Lantern. But you've got me, so there's Consolation Prize, I guess. But thank you very much, Scott, for writing in. Our next email comes from Mr. Luke Giaconetti. And the title of his email is (laughs) incredibly well-written. It's called Freshly Squeezed Green Lantern Comics Means Lots of Pulp. He says, Sean, I really enjoyed your coverage of the various Green Lantern annuals over the past several weeks. This past weekend, as he was writing this, so that was probably about a month ago, maybe a little bit more as the time this uh, episode will air, uh, at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, I was able to pick up a large stack of Flash annuals, which are the counterparts, the GL ones you covered. The Darkness We Are In, a Darkness Within, Elseworlds, Bloodlines, and Pulp Heroes, like you covered here on episode 117. I have the Dead Earth one, but I have not read it, so give yourself a pat on the bat for inspiring me to read all these annuals once I finish the stack of comics on my nightstand, I hope you find some enjoyment out of those annuals. Uh, uh I can't say the best things about the uh, Darkness Within and Else or the uh, Darkness Within and Bloodlines annuals, but I really enjoyed the Elseworlds one and I really enjoyed the Pulp Heroes one. Let me know what you thought about those, especially the Pulp Heroes one. I'd love to hear what they did with the Flash and that sort of give them a sort of uh, you know nineteen twenties and thirties shadow type feel or how they'd work that into it. I think that'd be kind of interesting. Luke continued on, saying, "...similar to you, I enjoy these quote-unquote downtime issues where we get to see our heroes in situations where the universe is not at stake. Unfortunately, at the price of single issues nowadays, it's a hard sell for a lot of readers." Makes sense. For all, of, uh, for all folks like us, benign the lack of downtime stories, it seems that most readers don't like stories like this because they don't quote-unquote matter. Unless the publishers, try to, or the publishers tend to only put out stories which quote-unquote again, matter. It's an unfortunate trend, but it's sadly the way the game is played now, at least by the big two. And you know me, I'm no new 52 basher, but I'm not an apologist either. Having said all that, the most amusing part of this issue to me is poor Kyle getting his painting blasted by the Manhunter. Insert Nelson Muntz's laugh here. (laughs) Ha ha. My best imitation, I guess. By the way, I'm right with you on the Kyle-Carol relationship. Carol is a cougar? That I can buy. But Kyle seems to stick with women his own age. I'm just saying, that's all. Yeah, I don't know about the whole idea of Carol and Kyle having a relationship in the New 52. I always see Carol as Hal's girlfriend. And yes, uh, in fact, from what I've seen of Carol and Kyle coming up to these issues, there's really been not much of a romantic relationship at all. So I could see them as friends, but not in any way lovers. So... I don't know where they're going to be taking it with the New 52, but I'm certainly be interesting. I'll check out uh, episodes of the Lantern cast to uh, find out what's going on with that. Luke finishes up here with a couple of notes about some ads from this episode. NFL Blitz was not so much a Madden clone as it was an arcade-style game with crazy graphics and plays flying all over the screen think NBA Jam on the gridiron and you've got a good idea. Yeah, I do kind of remember that now, that NFL Blitz was kind of akin to NBA Jam. It was a football game in the sort of loosest sense with not really the big bobblehead type characters, but not the strategy that you'd get in playing Madden or something like some game akin to that, so makes sense there. As far as the ad for Ape Escape, I don't want to go all Anthropology 201 on you, with major props to John Corgensall, my anthropology professor at Clemson University, wow, took anthropology, that's pretty impressive, Luke, he says, but a chimpanzee is an ape, a greater ape to be precise. Have you not read the Sacred Skulls? Again, Planet of the Apes Month coming back to beat me over the head, and unfortunately, I need to go back and read the Sacred Scrolls because I am obviously not acquainted with ape law. Keep up the good work, dude, Luke finishes up. And thank you, Luke, for writing in. I appreciate you writing in, and I'm hoping you enjoyed Ape Month as well. Uh, I know I loved listening to your commentary on, uh, you didn't do Escape, but it was Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And I hope all of you enjoyed Ape Month as well. Um, my little participation of Ape Month with, uh, well, reading Ape was not really that much of a addition to the show, sadly. But that finishes up emails for the episode. I've got a couple more that I'm going to read next episode, but I'll leave those till then. Thanks, everyone, for writing in. And if you'd like to write in, of course, the email address is just one of the justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. That'll be at the end of the show, if you've forgotten during the time that I keep talking. Which I'm going to keep doing as I'm getting ready to cover the issue, Green Lantern number 123. Green Lantern number 123 was cover dated April 2000 and released on February 2nd, 2000. Groundhog Day. Interesting. Cover price was $1.99 US and $3.25 Canada. And the, the title of this one was In Control. The writer was Ron Mars. Penciler was Daryl Banks. Inker was Greg Adams. Colors and Separations were by Moose Bowman. Probably no relation to Stella from Batman to Oracle. Letterer was Chrissy Iliopoulos, Assistant editor was L.A. Williams. And the editor was Bob Schreck. Everything was perfect for Green Lantern Kyle Rayner. A little too perfect, if you would ask him. After having woken up from his perfect scenario to former Lantern John Stewart playing bedside nurse, Kyle wonders why he dreamt up this reality in dealing with a new core and Jenny being his wife. All of a sudden, Kyle, now garbed like Parallax, is tackled by Superman and held captive by Wonder Woman's magic lasso. But this too is a fleeting vision as he pops back into reality in his bedroom. John asks him just what's going on, and after Kyle relates his turn as Parallax, John asks about what happened before all of this started. Kyle talks about getting shot, the gallery showing, some dealings with the JLA, oh yeah, and that run-in with FG and the Controllers. The mention of the Guardians' hardcore cousins leads John to believe that they might be a part of all of Kyle's problems, and Kyle decides that he needs to take the fight to them. Fighting off further flashbacks... Kyle charges his ring in an awesome splash page, and heads into space to track down the mind-manipulating Malthusians. Following a cosmic GPS signal where John said the controllers might be, Kyle ruminates on the illusionary world he was living in. Maybe being married to Jen and rebuilding the core was really what he wanted in life, but those thoughts are put on hold as Hal Jordan stops by to check on his lantern colleague. Kyle blocks out the illusion once more and finds that he's reached the controller base. But before he can confront the controllers, Kyle has to take on his opposite image, Effigy. Kyle prepares for a knockdown dragout fight, but soon realizes that Effigy is running on autopilot, his speech that of a person who's been lobotomized. But Effigy's puppet-like behavior doesn't slow his attacks, leading to Kyle having to deal out some consequences, copyright relatively geeky 2014, all rights reserved, and extinguish the match-headed miscreant with some construct firemen. Crisis averted, Kyle burns his way into the controller's citadel and engages the aliens in a little one on one rap session. To be continued. Okay, there is an explanation for Donna being colored green back in issue 120, but I had completely forgotten about it until I reread this issue. So I will apologize for ranting and, well, not raving, but just ranting about it back then. But it does make sense now, and it's actually a nice fake-out by Ron Mars that showed that even though he was about to leave the book, as we'll see coming up in the next couple issues, he was still planning ahead with the story. Greg Adams does a fantastic job eating banks, and there's very little, if any, bad art in this issue. In fact, I don't think I even have one negative thing to comment about this art, which is a nice change from some of the stuff we've been seeing before. It's a really good story that carries on from the past few issues. I'm not certain if this would be considered an early effort at writing for the trade, as these issues haven't been collected, but I would have to think that it was just part of the ongoing story, even though later on we'll see certain issues get collected for trades at the time. I would think this story arc definitely plays out to be about five or six issues long, so... It definitely could have been seen as a written-for-the-trade type book, but I don't think at the time that was the mentality of the writers at DC or at Marvel, so kudos to them for just writing good stories. But moving into uh, my commentary over the book, we'll start out looking at the cover, which is a nice sort of fractured image of the various iterations of Kyle's real and imagined life. Uh, The coloring of the shattered glass, Does't completely make the images pop off the page, but it does give it a kind of cool as in cool temperature feel it It feels like Kyle's standing on a brick of ice that's reflecting different images of what's going on in his past and his present and in his fractured mind and The idea of ice cracking is is a good parallel for what's going on along in his mental state. There's some interesting images here. Uh, Up in the upper right-hand corner, there's Kyle and, obviously, Alex walking. And Alex looks a bit more uh, top-heavy than she did in some of the other issues. There's Kyle as Parallax, which we see in the book. And then down at the bottom right, there's Kyle as Goku. I don't know why there's a Dragon Ball Z reference here, but yeah. Oh, and there's Kyle as... uh, Conan the Barbarian from the uh, Pulp Heroes Annual, so obviously that annual you know, had, some, had some legs because it's referenced a couple more times in here. Page one, we get a really great splash page, which essentially could be a cover for the book as well, and it's also very poster-worthy. You've got Kyle standing there with Jenny draped around him in her Green Lantern uniform, with him holding his hand up, you know, and the energy beaming off his ring hand, while the rest of the Lantern Corps flies out around him, and you see the face of in the background while he's being shadowed in the, uh, surprint with the uh, giant image of the uh, newly restored central power battery. It's a, it's a really nice image. And again, Adams does a good job at inking over banks much better than I think, um, Terry Austin did. But, uh, again, no, no fault to Terry Austin. They, they just didn't seem to work together. Adams seems to be working really well with, uh, with Daryl Banks in here, you know, unfortunately we're going to go through a kind of rotation of anchors that's not one's really going to stay for a while. So there you go. Page two, panel three. Here's where we get the explanation of why Donna was co- I'm sorry why Donna was colored green in issue 120. It was one of those things that I caught when I was rereading it, and a lot of people at the end of the book who wrote in letters caught and thinking that it might have been miscolorization or the letter put in the wrong you know person or what but it's it's a nice subtle way to show that that was kind of the beginning of Kyle's mental freak out or whatever exactly it was that was going on so i've got to go and kind of recant my rants about that and saying how awful and stupid I thought it was when they miscolored Jenny or miscolored Donna and made that mistake, because it wasn't. It was actually there for a purpose. Good on Braun Mars. Good on Bron Mars for putting that in there. Page three, I think Kyle looks... He looks really good in the Parallax uniform. It's not as exaggerated as Hal's original version of the Parallax uniform, The uh, sort of 90s slash 80s oversized shoulder pads are gone. The cape is still there, but it's not as ridiculous as you'd see it in other images. But I think Kyle looks good in here. And this is another scene where Kyle's thinking that something's going wrong. And having the entire Justice League essentially take him down is, is pretty awesome. You know, the only real difference is he still has his crab mask on, so... It's a neat aesthetic design. And yeah, Kyle, Kyle would look good as Parallax. I I wonder if they'll ever do that. Hmm. Page four, I guess this page is a little bit for the uh, ladies here because you get Kyle coming back from this strange dream and he's sitting on the bed wearing... It looks like close to nothing, especially in the second panel where he's very... Carefully shaded in his crotular region, so if you ladies want to imagine that Kyle sleeps in the buff, well yeah, take that, take this image and and hold it tight i I guess okay, moving on, page five, panel three. I really love the fact that even Kyle feels that his rogue's gallery is filled with losers and corpses, uh you know he mentions uh Dr. Light and Dr. Polaris. Engraven, which is hilarious. And then, of course, as corpses, which may not or may be true, we get fatality, but obviously she's not a corpse because she's back in current DC continuity. So maybe she was and she came back. Death doesn't seem to be that much of a problem anymore. Page 8, as we get another flashback, Kyle flashes back to the Pulp Heroes annual, except this time, instead of being a the uh, character from inside the painting—it's actually Jenny beside him with a very uh barbarian-inspired bikini and a cat of nine tails. So uh, I guess there's a little stuff in there for the men as well if they want to think about that. So there you go. But it's nice to see that the uh, pulp heroes storyline and the uh, artwork from that kind of captured people's imaginations and allowed it to be brought back into the book. Surprisingly, not much from. Bloodlines was brought back into the book, which, yeah, make your own judgments on that. Page nine, we get another awesome splash page here of Kyle recharging his ring before he goes out to find the controllers. There is a ton of obviously inspired Kirby crackle as the energy comes off the battery as he's putting his ring to it. Uh, it's a really nice image, uh, very poster-worthy. Uh, again, Adams and Banks work really well together, and uh, the coloring design is just amazing as well. So nice, nice panel here. Page 11. This is a nice melding of the story and the artwork here. While Kyle wonders about all the weird things that have happened to him in the past couple of issues, he thinks to himself if this is kind of wish fulfillment. And after thinking about it for a while, he gets this look on his face that it might just be what he wants to do. And throughout the narrative storyline running through this and the artwork, how you see Kyle looking sort of in the first panel just very determined To as further along on the page as he thinks more about what's been going on, he kind of gets this look on his face that he would like to do this. Plus, you also see, you know, another flashback changing as his crab mask changed to the traditional Green Lantern mask as another image comes up on the next page of him being part of the core and Hal Jordan still being there. So it's a nice working together of both the narrative and the artistic design of the book. Page 15, this is kind of disturbing. It tells you what kind of characters the controllers are. Effigy here now seems to have a feeling of him being lobotomized, or at least being mind-controlled, as he talks in a very bland, monotone way. And his facial expressions, such as they are, you can't really see because his face has got that sort of Joker white to it, also display that kind of feel that he's not all there. And that also gives the reader a feeling of what kind of characters the controllers are. It's They're not like the uh, Guardians who allow their their minions or their lanterns to have free will and decide on their own the controllers are doing just as their name suggests is suggest is, just as their name suggests they are controlling every action that this person does and it makes them a kind of a creepy threat so it'll be interesting to see how things go from this issue page sixteen panel two i I like how Kyle rings up a sort of early silver Age green lantern or not green lantern green arrow get up to knock out effigy here, but again, looking at it, it looks like they're knocking the arrow on the wrong side. I see this a lot in artistic posters, and it doesn't make sense if I can describe it. Essentially, he's holding the bow with his left hand and pulling back the string with his right. To my knowledge, the way you'd want to knock an arrow is you'd want to knock it on the right side of the bow, and the way it's here is it's knocked on the left side. The the shaft of the arrow is going on the left side of the bow. So that would mean he'd have to cross over the arrow through the bow and the string to get it on the string to fire it. And it, I don't know, I've fired bows before, and I've never seen them fired this way. Maybe this is a new method, maybe this is supposed to be more accurate, maybe he's using a different type of bow, but it just looks wrong, and it kind of bugs me, unfortunately. Page 19, after Kyle knocks Effigy out, he leaves him floating in space, which might be problematic, as he doesn't have his energy with him. But to his credit, Kyle does wonder if he'll be okay out there. And rather than just leaving out, leaving him out there without the idea of whether or not he'll be able to survive in space now that his power is gone. So he's making sure that he's disabling his enemy, but he's being a bit altruistic, and he's making sure that there's not going to be any death involved. As a hero, he doesn't want to have to kill this person because he feels some sort of sympathy for him especially if the controllers have done something to basically remove his willpower or do something to mentally mess him up. Then finally on page 22, we get another great splash page that's kind of reminiscent of the cover art for issue 107. And if you don't remember that one, that was the one where Kyle's offering up the ring and saying, yeah, would you like this or do you want this? Except this time he's saying, let's talk. He's got his hand outstretched, he's ready to try and have a dialogue with the controllers but if they're not ready to have a dialogue it looks like he's ready to beat some ass as well so nice finale to the issue that sets up what's going to be happening in the next issue so I'm, I'm looking forward to it ongoing but being the end of the issue I'm going to look forward to some of the very early 2000 advertisements But, unfortunately, I'm not looking to the Spree advertisement, which is the same one we've had for a while. It's the tongue with a post-it note saying, kick me on it. So, there's still that there. Eh. As well as an advertisement for Next Planet Over. So, interesting. Then we get a house ad for Her Father Made Her a Killer. No Man's Land Made Her Hero. It's Batgirl, the explosive new monthly comic by Scott Peterson, Kelly Puckett, Damian Scott, and Robert Campanella. Issue 1 hits stores in February. And I'm assuming this Bat Girl is the one who is actually Spoiler, who is actually the character Stephanie Brown. Unfortunately, outside of the Tim Drake Robin and the previous iterations of Robin, I don't know much about this character. So if you want to find out about this character, I would suggest you go listen to Tom Pannerese. I think he actually did an episode covering Robin and this iteration of Robin. Uh, recently on Taking Flight. I'm pretty certain you might want to also check out Rob Meyer's show, uh, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. He might be talking a little bit about this character as well. So two good shows you should definitely go check out if you want to know more about this character. We get the same Life is Hard, Don't Do Drugs, Scantron ad, as we've had a couple of times back. Kind of getting a lot of repeat ads. And another... uh, anti-drugs well not really anti-drugs but anti-smoking ad with a very stylized looking head with an atomic explosion coming out of the skull and this big teeth and tongue sticking out and the advertisement is tobacco is wacko if you're a teen if you're adult smoke is all smoke all you want it's it's fine but if you're a teen don't smoke because it's bad sponsored by the uh the Rillard Tobacco Company's Youth Smoking Prevention Program, and the here you go. The uh, website address is but out now with B-U-T-T out now. I hope that domain name stayed under this this uh, company, otherwise, you know, it <clears throat> might be misused for a, another purpose. Just saying. After that, we get another house ad for travel to exotic worlds, meet interesting aliens, and kill them. It's the Creature Commandos, a eight issue, an eight-issue miniseries written by Tim Truman, Scott Eaton, and Ray Crising, And it says they take war to the final frontier, a new eight-issue miniseries opening this, far this February. I have no idea. It looks like it might be Frankenstein... And it looks like it might be the the character of Hammeroon from the uh, Green Lantern, the new core series, but I'm pretty certain it's not It's interesting looking stuff, but uh, I don't think it has anything in relationship to the actual Green Lantern, new core, which is, which is sad, I guess. After that, you get another weird L2 advertisement. This, time's, this time it's not for Levi's jeans, I guess it's for Levi's cargo shorts, and got these two kids in cargo shorts holding up a giant boulder, obscuring their faces. Whatever, Levi's, I don't get you at all. That's why I buy all my stuff from Old Navy. Again, another repeat ad of Spyro's Revenge, or Spyro 2, whatever that is. Uh same advertisement for Thrasher's Skate and Destroy for the PlayStation, I guess. Uh, man, there's no new ads, huh? Same uh BK Big Kids Meal for uh, Batman Beyond uh things. Let's see oh wait, actually here is a new advertisement. It's a Hawkman and Hawk Girl uh two-pack deluxe action figure set from DC Direct. Uh it's available exclusively in comic shops June two thousand and it's a pretty nice look at the uh, I guess it's the golden and or silver age hawk girl. I've got the they've got the helmets for either one. And it's it's some nice sculpts. It's the classic looking hawkman and you can take off their helmets and have their actual faces. That's nice looking sculpts. Hawkman is uh impressively beefy and Sheera is uh she looks nice. She doesn't look too she doesn't look too nineties; she looks very her figure is very nice. she's not overly chesty, so I like that um I'm wondering if Luke Jack and Eddie ever got his hands on anything like this because that's a that's a good looking hawkman sketch I'm trying to see it's a uh thirteen inch wingspan hawkman the uh, characters are uh six and an eighth inch tall uh seven points of articulation, so not not too bad for uh, you know DC direct characters. I'm wondering how much these ran. They don't have any, don't have any prices on it. But they they look pretty cool. Nice sculpts. The next ad is for the uh, Wizard. I guess what 2,000 favorite uh, comic book characters and stuff ad. Uh, <clears throat> it's got basically selections for favorite writer, penciler, inker, painter, colorist, letterer, editor, hero, heroine. Villain, supporting character, ongoing series, one-shot or mini-series, publisher, comic merchandise, comic TV or movie project, and greatest comic moment of 1999. And I'll just go ahead and read some of the things. Uh, for uh, greatest comic moment of 99, we get Beaten and Bannered Adventures co- defeat or confront Ultron in Avengers 22. The death of Karen Page in Daredevil Daredevil number five. The Public's Discovery that Superman's Married in Superman 152. God Bites Out Jesse Custer's Eye. Ooh, that's a good one. And Preacher number 49. Uh, the Midnighter Crashes the Ship into Gomorrah in The Authority uh, number 4. And Thor Defeats the Dark Gods in number 12. Hmm, that's a pretty heavy... Well, except for Preacher and Superman, so those are DC books. And Authority, I think Authority is... Well, Authority is essentially a... Wasn't it a Vertigo title? I know it was. I don't think it played into the DC continuity, but yeah. There you go, wizard stuff. Looking through this, sadly, I'm not seeing any uh, Green Lantern stuff here. Uh, It is interesting, though. Space Ghost Coast to Coast is on the uh, docket for votes for a favorite comic or a TV movie project. Of course, it's up against Batman Beyond and the new Batman Superman adventures. And Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot? Really? Okay. Well, there you go. And Mystery Men, which was the, the hot comedy superhero comedy thing. Yeah. Again, another rehash of the Catwoman game for the, not the 3DS, but the Game Boy Color. A very psychedelic tie-dye version of an advertisement for Starburst Hard Candy, I guess if you were tired of chewing starburst you could actually get like hard candies or lifesaver version of starburst so there you go i do want to mention that the ringside uh, letters page basically has a bunch of ideas of what people thought was going on in issue 120 with uh them referring to donna as jenny or jenny as donna and her being colored green some of the ideas were oh uh, due to the gunshot wound and mixed-up feelings for both women, Kyle was projecting Jade's complexion on Donna. Uh, someone said, Rob Schwager Mrs. Jen. Sentinel's presence earlier had some residual energy in the apartment, sort of like static le- electricity charge that temporarily colored Donna's screen green or the color of Scoved. Someone says it was Jenny, but we can just assume that Redu got his name mixed up and Jenny was too nice to correct him. So... Yeah, it wasn't just me who noticed that. And I'm glad that it was eventually determined to be an actual part of the story. So that's kind of neat. But the uh, final ad is a kind of interesting ad for Psycomic.com, which I guess is a comics website. It has a very, like one of those Catholic schoolgirl uniforms and this uh, very skinny, seductive, redhead, posing seductively in it i don't get the well the, okay i do get the appeal of the uh, catholic school girl and the school girl uniform but using it to advertise for comics and in fact sci which i guess is a subscription service or a online comic retailer eh, yeah whatever but that does it for ads and that does it for the book and that does it for this show. It's, like I said, it's a little bit shorter one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode. I hope you did too. And I hope you'll be back for a next issue where we find out what's going on with Kyle and controllers as he's about to uh, have a little conversation with them. Maybe a bit more fisticuffs and consequences than conversation. Yeah, that's probably it. Thanks, Professor Allen. Well... That's it for this time out. I will be seeing you, well, not technically seeing you, I will be talking at you here in seven days, so hopefully you'll be back to listen to the next episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, have a good weekend, folks. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted to respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback to the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website at 2 truefreakscom There you can find the RSS feed, as well as skin of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for just one of the guys podcasts, or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Devons core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little candy crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greeklander podcast. The opening music for today's show was The Foo Fighters and their song, Breakout. Off their album, There's Nothing Left to Lose. If you'd like to buy this album, buy this song, or buy the mp3 of all of it, the best way to do that would be to go to Amazon.com. And the best way to get to Amazon.com, of course, is by going to the link at 2 When you click on the Amazon link at 2 Freaks, you'll be redirected to Amazon.com where you could buy any number of Foo Fighters albums and which you should, because they are awesome. Plus, you can also buy a myriad other things, like electronics, toys, games, video game systems, whatever you could ever possibly want, and all for ridiculously low prices. Plus, every time you use the link at 2truthreaks.com, a little bit of your purchase price you make over at Amazon.com will be shunted back to the website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really, really helps us out. So whenever you want to get your Foo Fighters need on, make sure you use the link at 2